Well, good morning once again, and uh, just a wonderful service this morning. Thank you, worship team and children. It's really just a pleasure to worship in this church. Uh, just such great gifts that God has brought here. Uh, Pastor Rick is ill, and in my recollection, this has only happened one other time before. And so uh, if he's not here, he's really sick. So you can count on that. I don't know the nature of it. Uh, just pray for him and, and lift him up, and uh, I'm sure he'll be back with us next week. So uh, be praying for him. I did this message, and I'm going to share with you today on Easter over at the Osceola Church. And so I'm making some adjustments to it to share with it today. But as I thought about it, you know, a, a message at Easter and a message at Christmas really can be pretty much the same thing because the story of Christmas, the coming of Christ Jesus, is about the story of Easter, which is the reason why He came was to die for us. And so uh, we're going to bring those together today as we focus on that. And uh, um, Kevin Furcus, is he here? Okay, sorry, Kevin, but here's your. this is your time. <laughs> I'll tell a story on Kevin this morning. Um, I'm going to start with a parable. And uh, it's a real-life parable. It's something that happened to me and Kevin and a couple of other people here uh, about a year ago. Uh, we went on a grouse hunting expedition up in the great north woods, way up north. And uh, um, actually, what this message is all about is really uh, God's lesson to me in the fall of 2007 through 2008, the kinds of things that, that he was unfolding and teaching me. And I think part of the reason why I'm preaching it today is because he's not done with this message for me, this lesson, and that I, I needed to come back and revisit this for me. And so uh, I'm preaching this sermon to me once again, and if you happen to get in the way between uh, me and me, well then, uh, great, I hope it means something to you. But this is a message to me, and this is kind of something that I need to continue to hear. But it started with a living parable, and I didn't realize it at the time, but throughout last year as I was meditating on the Scriptures and God was teaching me, I thought back to this experience and I thought, boy, that's a, that's a perfect picture of what, uh, what God wants me to learn this year. And here's the story. I uh, uh, don't want to name names, but Don Button and Kevin Furcus and Aaron Cavanaugh, the four of us were up grouse hunting up north in, the, again, the deep woods. And uh, Kevin is, uh, and all four of us, we're great outdoorsmen. You know, we were armed to the teeth and ready to take on any challenge out there in the woods. And, and all four of us would, I think, pride ourselves on really being able to take care of ourselves in the great outdoors, that we know what we're doing and uh, we would never get lost. Um, so we started out in what should have been a fairly simple uh, endeavor, which was there was a highway that ran north and south all the way over this way, so there's nothing you can do. You can't get lost going that way. You'll hit the highway. And then a one mile this way was a railroad track that ran north and south forever, and eventually you've got to hit the railroad track. And so the plan was, let's jump into the woods, and we'll just go straight that way through the woods, and we'll come to that railroad track, and we're going to look and see if we can find grouse. And we're going to bushwhack our way straight through the woods to the railroad track. And when we got to the railroad track, we were going to hook a left and go on down until we caught a trail. And we're going to come back to the highway. And there's no way this could go wrong. This is very simple. For expert woodsmen like ourselves, this should be no problem. We strike out into the woods. And it's one of those gray days. There's not the hint of a sun anywhere on the horizon. There, You have no idea where the sun is. This is totally gray. And the woods are thick. I mean, really thick. I mean, there's a tree here, and then there's a tree here. And that's just, you're digging your way through this stuff. 
And I don't really know this place. This is Kevin's idea. So <laughs> I'm following Kevin. I don't. He's in front and he's showing us the railroad track is that way. And, and we're bushwhacking through this thing. And as we're coming along, we notice the ground under the trees is just plowed up. It's just totally plowed up. Do we have slides? Apparently not. All right. Sorry, we don't need them. Uh, they're completely plowed up. And, and we're kind of debating what could do this. It's just like a plowed field under the trees. What could possibly dig up all this dirt? And we're walking along, walking along. All of a sudden, we come to a clearing, and it's a pig farm. And uh, there's a pig. This has been pigs had been rooting around out in the woods, and that's what it was. And we came to a pig farm, and we're going. Well, how could we come to a pig farm? It was the highway, and it was a railroad track, and there's no pig farm. And then Kevin goes, "Oh, you know, over that way is there's a farm on the south end of this. Well, how did we get to the pig farm?" And we kind of scratched our head, and we couldn't figure that out, but we knew where we were going. So we turned right around, we went straight back into the woods, and we went straight to the railroad track again. And off we went, and we went bushwhacking through this thing, and all of a sudden we came back to plowed fields, and back in, and there's the pig farm again. How in the world could we hit the pig farm a a second time, us expert woodsmen and with a great leader like Kevin out front? We thought, you know, back we went into the woods, Hooked to right again, straight to the track. Third time, we came around the back side of the pig farm. Found the pig farm a third time. Turns out that Kevin has one leg stronger than the other. And so, uh, with no sky above and all these woods, you just kind of go to the, to the right. And, and not only, just, but three times we did that in the course of a, a single mile. And, uh, you know, it's easy to pick on Kevin, but at least there's somebody to blame. The rest of us uh, had no idea where we were. Now, what's the moral of that? What's the point of that? Other than just having a little fun with Kevin, uh, the, the point is that without some fixed point of reference, you'll get lost every time. And I've read about that. I've read stories about people who get in the wilderness and they just walk in circles. But from a guy from North Dakota... We've always got a fixed point. I've never been in a place there where you can't see something that you're heading towards. Uh, this was my first experience of walking someplace with no fixed point of reference. And when you do that, you'll just walk in circles. It's not just Kevin. We all do that. We all have one leg that's a little bit stronger, and you drift to one side. What was just incredible to me was how fast we got lost. Three times in a row, expert woodsmen that we are, uh, we got lost over and over again. And so uh, that's my parable. And, the, and the, the point is that without a fixed point, without a compass, without some reference point, we will always get lost. And that's not just true of hunters in the woods. That's true of life. Without a fixed point of reference, without some idea of what true north is in life, we will steer off course and get lost every single time. We're not going. This is not going to happen. That's fine. We won't worry about it. I just want to make sure. Uh, my outline for the day is basically this. Uh, we start with the parable of the pig farm, and I want to talk about what our fixed point is. And everybody knows that the fixed point is the person of Jesus. 
But I want to be more specific in an understanding that that fixed point of Jesus is Jesus as He loves and that we need to love like He does. And we need to define that love and then we need to see how Jesus modeled that love. A propitiatory love. And I want to explain that to you and then draw the conclusions for me and uh, maybe they'll hit you as well. So let's start with Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. And if you've got your Bible, just want to reference that. Uh, that tells us that Jesus is the fixed point of reference that God has given us in our life and that we should follow Him. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter. Uh, You could say trailblazer. He's the trailblazer of our faith. That He is the one that came to this earth that took on humanity as a little baby and then grew up to be a man and lived His life on this earth demonstrating for us the way that we should go. He laid out the trail for us that we should follow. And so trailblazer means that Someone that goes ahead and then they put those marks on the tree or piles of rocks along the way to blaze the trail, to leave those blazes along the trail so that you can see where it is that you're supposed to go. Every part of the United States has got, for for us Europeans anyway, has some kind of trailblazer that went before us. Uh, Lewis and Clark blazed the trail up through the Missouri River and opened up the West. A guy by the name of Jumpin' Jolly Roulette Uh, blazed a trail from Winnipeg to Minneapolis and opened up that whole region in between those two areas. There was an explorer named Lesur Duluth who came up the St. Croix River that blazed the trail that opened up this region to uh, settlement from from Europeans that uh, showed the way in this area. For our Christian life, Jesus Christ is the trailblazer, the one who comes first, that shows us the way that we should go and the way that we should live. And so my point here is that as followers of Jesus Christ, if I say that I am a Christian, and that if I say that I follow Jesus as my author and perfecter, as the trailblazer of my life, if I claim that I am His disciple, then I will do family I will do marriage. I will do parenting. I will approach my work. I will uh, bring my money. I will bring my career. I will do the way I do church, the way I relate to friends. Everything in my life should be governed by what Jesus has taught and what He modeled and what He commanded. Jesus is the trailblazer. He's the way that we should go. He governs how it is that we live our lives. And so if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we will fix our eyes on Him. And we will study Him with all of our heart and all of our might. And we will live to the best of our ability by His empowerment the kind of life that He lived. So we need to follow Him. And Rick uh, shared with us from Romans chapter 6. Um, <clears throat> Uh, just last week, and I'd like to read from that passage again. Romans 6, 4-8 through 8 says that we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. 
And if we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is talking about this identity that we have. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are Christians, then when Jesus died, as I put my faith in Him, I have been identified with Him. And I died with Christ, as Rick shared with us last week. I died with Him on that cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, by faith I hang on that cross with Him. And I have died with Him. And I am placed in the tomb with Jesus. I've been identified with His death. And I've been placed in that tomb with Jesus. And when Jesus Christ was resurrected to new life, I was resurrected to a brand new life. And so the Bible says that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. That I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the new me. The new Ron Birgett is the Ron Birgett filled with the person of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And why is it? What's the end result that we should no longer be slaves to sin? It's so that our lives will change. It's so that we will be different kinds of people. We will become more like Jesus Christ. We will look like Him. We will act like Him. In all the categories of our life, we will follow Him and do what He says. And we'll do it His way. Now this is the big idea of my message. This is the point. Uh, The point is that Jesus is the fixed point of reference for our lives. And the rest of my message is this, that Jesus is love. So if Jesus is the fixed point and I need to fix my eyes on Him and follow Him, where is He going? How is He leading? What kind of quality of life is He leading us into? What kinds of thing does He draw us into? He draws us into a life of love. And it's everywhere in Scripture. Uh, it's the summary of what it means to follow Jesus. 1 Timothy 1, uh, 5, the Apostle Paul says that the goal of our instruction, he's saying he is the Apostle Paul as a follower of Jesus, the whole point of his instruction and the commands that he gives is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That love was the whole point of all of Paul's doctrine and truth and ideas that he presented. If you just caught up with the doctrine of Paul and it doesn't lead you to be a loving person, you've missed the entire point of all of that doctrine. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul also makes that very clear that, that uh, there's faith, there's hope, there's love, but the greatest is love. The whole point of life is that we mature, that we become grown-ups in Jesus Christ, and that we have the ability, the strength of character to love others. And the great, the great commandment that we are to love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and yet you are to love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible's very clear. That's the greatest commandment. That's, that's supposed to be the central thing about our Christian faith, is that we love God, and then it also says, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. That defines our discipleship, or it should. And then in John, uh, he says that God is love. That God's character, His personality is defined as a God of love. 
And so the Bible is very clear that the compass setting, the true north of the Christian life, if we are to get that identity of what is the fixed point that I am to fix my eyes on and pursue with all my heart, that true north is to become a person who loves like Jesus Christ loves. That is the true north of the disciple of Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, then I need to define it. I need to understand clearly just exactly what is love. Is it a warm, fuzzy feeling? What exactly is it? If I'm to love like Jesus, what is that? And so love defined is uh, that love is the will to good. It is the, the will for the good of another. To seek the highest good of another is to love another. The opposite of love is malice. If I wish evil on you, then I'm not loving you. That's the absence of love. Uh, that, that's the opposite of love. Is that if, if I wish harm to come to you, just the polar opposite of I'm wishing good for you, I want the best thing to happen to you. Now I want harm to come to you, I'm not loving you. I'm, I'm doing the opposite of that. And the absence of love is apathy. When we just don't care. When maybe I'm not really particularly mad or I don't have any malice towards someone, but I just really don't care whatever it is that happens to them. Uh, that's the absence of love. And so true love, the way Jesus loved, the true north of love is the desire to see good come to those around us. And it is to seek that highest good of another. Now, Jesus is our role model for this. If we fix our eyes on Jesus and we look carefully at His life, we'll see that that's exactly the kind of life that Jesus lived right from His very birth through to His death. To follow Jesus is to love like Him. And this is what His love was like. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12. through 12. First John 4, 7 through 12. This is one of the most powerful and clear passages in Scripture that help us to understand the true north of our Christian discipleship. Here's what John writes. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. <clears throat> the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, hang on to that word. It's a big one. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And so if we are to be followers of Jesus, if the person of Jesus Christ is my true north, He's my reference point. Now, I've got my eyes fixed on Him. And as I observe Him, I observe Him through the text of Scripture. And what I see is a passage like this that tells me that what He is like, that God is love. And that God being a God of love is a God who cares about our needs. And what our need was was to have our relationship with Him fixed. Uh, there was a problem in our relationship with God, and the problem was that we had uh, uh, disappointed Him, we had hurt Him, we had disobeyed Him, we had 
broken our relationship off with Him. He didn't break it off with us. We broke it off with Him. And we hurt Him. And in the midst of that hurt, uh, the righteous response to that kind of treatment to the Creator of the universe is wrath. You just don't treat the Creator of the universe like that. You just can't. God is, is righteous and holy. And you can't treat a righteous and holy Creator with disdain and disrespect and dishonor and disobedience and there not be any consequences. It has to happen. And so there was a, a breach in the relationship, but God demonstrates to us, what do you do in a context like that? When that happens, you make it right in yourself. God dealt with it within Himself. And so when it says that this is love, not that we love God, we didn't. We didn't come to Him. We didn't make it right with God. God came to us. And He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word, big word, we don't usually use it. Basically what it means is that you wronged God. God absorbed it and forgave you. God absorbed all the wrongdoing that you did to Him through the person of Jesus Christ, God worked it out within Himself so that He could, in a just fashion, forgive your sins and your malice toward Him and your apathy toward Him and your lack of love toward Him. God took the hurt and the wrath that was due to us and He resolved it within Himself through the death of His Son on the cross. That's why Jesus came as a child, lived His life on this earth to identify with you and me, and then die on the cross to absorb the wrath that was due to, due to us into Himself. So that now I can, by faith, hang on the cross with Jesus, be buried with Jesus, be then resurrected to a new life through Jesus because God had this kind of propitiatory love towards us. And He absorbed in Himself the punishment that we had coming to us. And then John kind of brings it back to us. Hey, you, you've experienced this incredible grace from God. This incredible act of love on his behalf, his behalf toward us what do we do with that and John in, in verse 11 says it's real clear beloved if God loved us like that we also ought to love one another like that no one has beheld God at any time but if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us do you, you get in his point here the true north of our Christian life, what it's really all about is that we need to become people like that. That's the kind of people we ought to be. Just like that. That when we're wronged, when we're hurt, when we're mistreated, we have the same kind of propitiatory love. We absorb it. We forgive. We continue with a will to good toward those who have not, had nothing but a will to evil towards us. That's the true north 
of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of why God has poured out His grace on us so that we will be like Him and that we will love like Him. Now just like out in the woods, my fixed point of reference was Kevin. Now Kevin's a very fine man. And he's a really great outdoorsman. Uh, and uh, I've followed him around in the woods lots of times and he's gotten me birds and all kinds of stuff and he's a great guide and, and uh, does a good job. But he's human. And he, that day was just off a little bit. He wasn't the proper fixed point of reference. I fixed my eyes on the wrong fixed point of reference. We should have had a compass, then we could have done it. But without, with just Kevin and his one strong leg, we ended up at the pig farm time and time again. And that's what life is like. That's the way it goes. If we fix our eyes on the wrong thing. Now let me tell you some of the things I fixed my eyes on that I thought were pretty good really. But you know, now that I reflect on it, they're not quite right. And one of them is the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's my motto. That's what I do. That's what I believe in. That's the wrong fixed point of reference. That's not true north. That's a means to the end, but that's not true north. You know what happens when you fix your eyes on making disciples and taking the gospel to the world and, and you begin it becomes an end in of itself and people become a means to the end. And you begin to use them for that means instead of loving them the way God loves them. Why was there a great commission? Because God loves people. And if we enter into His kind of love, then the Great Commission is just going to happen. We're going to love people into the kingdom. If we fix our eyes on the Great Commission, then we'll start using people to accomplish some grand religious scheme. It's not disciple-making, not as an end of itself. It's not growing a church. It's not building buildings. It's not worshiping, not doing the things we do on this stage, that's not the fixed point. It's not Sunday school programs. It's not church activities. It's none of those things. If we fix our eyes on the church stuff and it becomes an end instead of a means to the end, we'll end up at the pig farm every time. It's not doctrine. It's not believing the right things. We need right doctrine to love correctly. That's a means to the end. But the end is my character. It's who I am and how I live and how I treat other people. It's that will to good in me or that lack of will to good in me or that apathy in me that is the true test of the quality of my discipleship. True north is to follow Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the trailblazer of our faith. And if you look at the trail markers, if you look at what He has said that we are to do, what is it that was the end product that we are to measure? It's the quality of our character, our ability to love, how we treat people, how we relate to people. That's the end game. And so the lesson that God was teaching me this last year, and you know what What happens? Here's what I think God does. Uh, it's part of those trail markers along the way. He will give you, he, will, he certainly has me anyway, giving you tests of your love. He will give you uh, 
a relationship that's difficult, that's a challenge. Uh, someone that you'll need to forgive and you will be given the opportunity to forgive and God will put you in those contexts and then He'll watch to see how do you respond to that? Do you respond like Him? Absorbing the wrath, forgiving, being the peacemaker? Or will you carry around the bitterness and the anger and a a, a will to, to evil toward the person? What will go on in your heart when those things happen? And those things, that's, that's the measure. That's, those are the things we need to look at as we pop the hood on our heart and look inside and be real honest about what's in there. What's going on? How do I respond to these things? How angry am I? How embittered? Who am I carrying a kind of a grudge towards? And I'm, I'm just not dealing with it. And I'm not being honest about it. Uh, that's the stuff that really, really matters. And all the rest of it is supposed to help us do that better. So this Christmas season and as we head into a new year, I, uh, and again, this is a, like a good reminder for me because I, 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 uh, I'm finding I'm not nearly as mature a disciple of Jesus as I thought I was. I can quote lots of verses. I can do lots of Bible study. I can preach sermons. I can put on a good show. But you pop the hood and you, you, know, you make me mad sometimes. Put me to the test. And then we find out. Ron's got some work to do. Ron's got a lot of work to do. So it's time to check your compass, first of all. What's your fixed reference point? Is it, you got your eyes fixed on Jesus? I'll bet not. I'll bet you've drifted off. Um, Check your compass. Make sure your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? What is, what's He like? Well, he's, he's a lover. He loves. He has the will to good for others. He forgives. He's that kind of person. That's the kind of person we're supposed to be. And so check your heart. Is that the kind of heart you have? Is that the kind of heart you're training to get? Because I think that's, it's not a matter of trying. You can't just jump up tomorrow and say, okay, I'm going to be a lover. It doesn't work like that. It takes a lifetime of training, of keeping your eyes fixed day by day, and slowly and by, over time, we become more and more like Him if we conform to His image, if we listen to His leading, if we bow to Him, He'll shape us. And if you don't, sometimes He pulls out the old velvet-covered 2 by 4 and just... Wakes you up. Um, so let's check our compass. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to do this message again because you know it. I needed to hear it. Um, and there's nothing more um, humbling than preaching a sermon that you know you need to hear. And uh, so I stand before you guilty and in need of adjustment. Uh, Lord Jesus, you're the fixed point. No question. We all know it. We just forget it. And uh, we confess before you that we drift off. We fix our eyes on some of the wrong things. Help us, Lord Jesus, to fix our eyes on you. And you, as a model of love, teach us that, Lord Jesus. And then help us uh, to really submit to what you're trying to teach us. To really to really give into it and let you do what you want to do. It's hard. Help us. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus.